0: From HowStuffWorks.com, this is the stuff of life.
2: We get up in front of an audience for the first time and see all those people out there looking at us. You start to think, am I ready? Can I do this? What was I thinking? Maybe this was a really, really bad idea.
3: Welcome to the Stuff of Life. I'm your host, Julie Douglas, and this episode is a companion to our one-on-fear. It's about glossophobia, the fear of public speaking. You know what I'm talking about. Your name is announced. Your legs feel like lead as you walk to the mic. (laughs) The words on your PowerPoint presentation suddenly mutate into incomprehensible symbols and your eyes widen into questioning orbs. Words come now, you command to your brain as you stare back at the audience. Heart racing. Glossophobia is no joke. It regularly shows up on the top 10 list of things that scare the pants off of people. In fact, in the 2014 American Survey of Fears by Chapman University, it broke into the top five, alongside fears of personal safety. Maybe that's because at some point in our lives, most of us submit ourselves to it in one way or another.
0: You know, for people who are scared of public speaking, they only have to say things when it's like a funeral and or have to or be uncomfortable at a wedding, you know, those big milestones of life.
3: Today we'll hear from How Stuff Works staff members about their experiences with public speaking.
0: Do you guys remember Elmer Fudd in the cartoons, and, and or Daffy Duck or something, and they would they would walk off the cliff, and they wouldn't fall until they looked down
4: and realized that they were off. the cliff. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: just don't look down. That's how I feel.
3: <laughs> and we'll hear clips from professional speech coach Tim Wilson from his talk, Fight the Fear. Handling Stage Fright.
2: Picture yourself in front of the audience. You're confident. Know your speech. You look out at the audience. You see people are enjoying the speech. They're laughing at your jokes. Having a good time.
3: Let's hear from three people who have dared to step
4: into the light. I'm Raquel Willis. I'm a digital publisher here at How Stuff Works. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. Mostly I write and research for a video and also appear in some of those videos and, you know, whatever else is necessary on the given day.
0: My name is Ben Bolin, a former child actor at the Grand Old Opry. Yeah, I know, true story. Uh do a lot of things, and one of those things I do is work here with you amazing folks.
3: Yeah, you heard that right. Ben was a wee child star of the grand old Opry.
0: It's grand old Opry time. Howdy all your friends. Most of my memories, because I was very, very young, most of my memories of that moment uh, relate directly to my parents ruining dates by showing them pictures of, you know, this baby with a ten gallon hat.
4: Ben, those girls were not worth your time. If they couldn't appreciate a baby in a ten gallon hat, I'm here to tell you.
0: Look, hey, I can't put it all on them. There were a lot of factors involved. But yeah, public speaking.
4: So, well, that's what I
3: think is interesting about this. At a young age, you're foisted on stage, made to wear a 10-gallon hat, and you reenact this in some ways over and over again. (laughs) Freud called this repetition compulsion, the need to reenact something over and over again to gain mastery of it. Something this group knows a lot about.
0: Lauren, Raquel, and I have all done various uh, live venues. I do a lot of uh, comedy, which, uh, well, theoretically, ideally. No,
4: you do. You do. I've seen it. It is
0: comedy. It is comedy. You're very kind. I know. Very (laughs) kind person. Thank you. Warren, you have done literary events around town, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Raquel, you've done various speaking events as well, right?
5: Yes. Funny thing is that. My public speaking has really evolved because now I'm really kind of just talking about real life like ideas and not really performing, but I do kind of come more from a performing background. Now I'm just more of an activist and speaking more on um, race and LGBTQ issues and feminism and all those good things. So it's been really interesting because just speaking as me is really nerve-wracking but before (laughs) when i was a character or i was there was more of a barrier between me and the audience artistically it was a little bit easier just to to be on stage and exist and and have that self-confidence
4: I feel like every time I'm on stage, I'm playing a character, even if I'm reading a personal essay um, or, or talking about myself, I feel like I, I'm, I'm in this stage persona that's not quite me. It's like related to me, but yeah. it's entirely separate. Like it's 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 the person who's not terrified to be on stage in that moment okay. because <laughs> cause, cause I would never be on stage, but like, but this person doesn't mind. So she's pretty rad. Listen to her for a while. The reason public speaking is terrifying is because
3: if you take the long view of history, standing in front of an audience signaled some kind of transgression. You were paraded in front of people to answer to something. Maybe you were making a plea or justifying an action. The audience might ridicule you or become violent. In any case, historically, stepping onto a stage wouldn't have been pretty. Which is probably why we have coping
5: techniques.
3: Do you have a, a ritual before you have a public speaking engagement?
5: I guess I would say just affirmations in, in front of a mirror. If I can get in front of a mirror before I go on stage, that's awesome. Just still away to the restroom before they get to my part. It, it, it just helps to just look at myself and just remind myself, like, you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. You're going to knock it out of the ballpark.
3: In my experience, the more that I have obsessively um, prepared myself, the better it goes because that's sort of my strategy for trying to put myself out there on display and say to myself, oh, yeah, here's this version of Julie that's going to go up there Mm -hmm. and do this. Mm -hmm. It's not really me, but here you go, hologram. Mm.
0: (laughs) An exhaustively researched and uh, well-polished version of ourselves, right? Hopefully, right? Hopefully.
3: Yeah. And I'm
4: not alone in this. Lauren has her thing too. I go through this like like, well, mental preparation routine, but also physical grooming routine. And it's you know, you know, the the, the physical grooming part I think is partially sociologically fair because like especially being a, a woman, society puts such acute judgment on on how we look when we're when especially if we're putting ourselves in the public eye. So so there's that factor, but it's also like I might forget all my lines, I might lose the English language from my brain, my sphincter could fall out, but my eyebrows are going to be on point. (laughs) It's about instilling order into a situation you don't have
3: full control over. As an example, let's look at a 2015 study by Martin Lang et al. in which 62 university students were fitted with a heart rate monitor and an accelerometer on each wrist to measure wrist movements. Then, they were presented with a silver metal sculpture. Half were told they'd have to give a five-minute speech about the object, to an art expert no less, and would be given only three minutes to prepare. There was a list of questions they'd need to address in their speech. Questions like, what genre does this sculpture belong to? The other half were told to just ponder the questions and look at the object. Then both groups were instructed to polish away. Well, guess which group obsessively polished the object? The would-be speech givers, of course, whose self-reported anxiety levels directly related to their elevated heart rates and hand movements. For them, polishing the sculpture was a self-soothing act of preparation. As part of the ritual of preparation, professional speech coach Tim Wilson underscores the need to practice and practice the right way. He advocates several approaches to your speech, including reading your text over and over again, saying it out loud, and taking time to even video yourself so you can really see how you
2: present information. It's all right you do look like that and you do sound like that. Get used to it.
3: There's another thing you can do to prepare and it has everything to do with something called embodied cognition. The idea that how you interact with the physical world can affect your internal
0: world. I can tell you a little bit about a ritual I do but it's it's sort of embarrassing. So I try to be the the nicest, coolest version of me or whatever character I'm playing. I go super way too far into into characters because if I if I'm supposed to host as a different character or play a role, then I'll, I won't show up, but that dude will and he'll hang out. And uh, that can be a little bit weird for cast or, or other people, but if it's actually me, if I'm doing something um, as this version of myself, then the person people meet about two hours or so before the show, that that person is way better than the actual me, way nicer, <laughs> way funnier, and goes out of his way to do something good for people beforehand, just like little things, you know, because then for some reason. Feeling that way puts me in a really good space, and it, it, I, feel, I feel like one of the good guys, confident.
3: Ben's tapping into something that a 2013 study by Jeremy Jamison found about harnessing anxiety when it comes to performance, essentially making stage fright your friend. Instead of calming yourself, which is counterintuitive to the physiological state of your body, you should jump on that chemical cocktail and marshal the body's resources in a positive way. Whether it's Raquel telling herself positive things in a mirror or Ben becoming the ultimate mensch, it's recasting stress as excitement and opportunity.
2: It's that same fear, that same excitement. We can use to develop and build our speaking.
3: That's not to say that every time you stick your neck out, it's going to be a win. Everyone has at least one very public moment that they wish went differently.
0: There was a Dracula play, and I really wanted to be Renfield. I was like, looking at Renfield, oh, yeah. I was like, ah, oh, it's totally me. I can do this, uh-huh. I can own this. And a drama teacher passed <laughs> me as Dracula. And I was like, "Why? I look like a young Orville Redenbacher in this stupid cape." And then she cast my best friend Lemuel, who is like 6'4 and on the football team, as Van Helsing. This is that talk about a directorial choice because that <laughs> that confrontation <laughs> was a, was hilarious, and we were trying to do the accents too, Julie. Oh, we we're trying to do the accents too. I wouldn't trade those kind of moments for anything because it's so it's so embarrassing, but it's also I don't know. It's amazing. Like, they're
5: life changing. Yeah. I mean, they're very formative moments that need to happen. Like all of these things that we've all described that we've gone through,
3: once you get to the other side, yeah. it is life changing in some in these ways that you're not even aware of because it gives you the courage to realize that like Elmer Fudd, if you don't look down, <laughs> maybe you'll, you know, still survive. You'll yeah. you're still there. You're You know, creating your own reality.
0: Wonderful callback, Julie. Yeah.
3: Just don't look down, right?
0: Not once, not never.
4: Never.
3: (laughs) But even if you do, I mean, the point is, like, you, you don't die from this. It's a metaphorical death. Right, right. When we see someone allowing themselves to be vulnerable and putting themselves out there, we root for them. We see ourselves in that person, that person who has something to say and is taking a risk to do it. And there's also another story bubbling underneath the surface there. Something about who that person is and what they can teach us about what it is to be human.
0: I promise you that 99% of the time, everybody watching you wants it to be amazing and they believe in you. They are on your side.
3: And the next episode will take on immortality with the idea of creating an eternal avatar of yourself.
5: We're not trying to create like a clone, like a very lifelike clone. We're trying to create something that offers a very easy interface to access those memories. But it's going to be very clear that that's not a copy of the person.
3: Thank you to Tim Wilson for allowing us to use clips from Fight the Fear, Handling Stage Fright. You can find more from him at speakingquicktips.blogspot.com. And thank you to Lauren Vogelbaum Ben Bolin, and Raquel Willis for Bearing Your Public Speaking Souls. The Stuff of Life is written and co-produced by me, Julie Douglas. Original music and sound design is by co-producer Noel Brown. And editorial oversight is provided by head of production Jerry Rowland. You can send your thoughts to us at thestuffoflife at howstuffworks.com and you can visit our Facebook page The Stuff of Life where we'll post some outtakes from our roundtable. Speaking of... This is what happened when we put Ben on the spot and asked him to freestyle.
0: Yeah, I'll freestyle if you want, if you give me a word. Bird. All right. uh I asked for a word, and the word was bird. It's crazy how people confuse gold with turds. I've got that Midas touch. I give minus <laughs> every time people come to me like, what's up? Look, I eat these.
1: Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
2: The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.
4: As the number one audio company,
5: iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia Media is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.